Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Chronicle episodes. On today's show, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that James recommended me on last week's podcast. Those were the first four issues of the original 1984 Mirage Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics, and the first four issues of the 2011 IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics. It's, it's all very confusing. But before we get to those, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. Continuing on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme, this week we've learned that WWE star Seamus will be playing Rocksteady in David Green's sequel, alongside Gary Anthony Williams's Bebop. Uh, The pair have been pictured on set in their human guise, but hopefully they will transform into their mutant warthog and rhino forms at some point in the movie. Otherwise, money back. The movie has also recast the roles of Shredder and his daughter Karai for the sequel, with Brian T and Brittany Ishibashi stepping into the roles for the sequel. The Hollywood Reporter has reported that Tilda Swinton is set to join the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the Doctor Strange mentor, The Ancient One, a traditionally male role in the pages of the comics. This follows the news that we spoke about last week of the Crow gender flipping the role of its villain to accommodate the casting of Andrea Riseborough, and it's again news this podcast welcomes. I personally know very little about the world of Doctor Strange, but I can certainly buy Tilda Swinton as someone who would be a mentor of Benedict Cumberbatch, and an actress of her quality seems like a coup for Marvel, so win-win as far as I'm concerned. Over in the DC Universe, Chris Pine looks set to be joining the cast of Wonder Woman in the role of the hero's love interest, Steve Trevor. First of all, let's point out how refreshing it is to hear a man widely referred to as a love interest in a movie, because that's basically the first time I can remember seeing a male character refer to that. Secondly, this seems to scupper the rumours that Chris Pine was being looked at for the role of Green Lantern, the only member of Zack Snyder's expected Justice League lineup who remains uncast. Pine is also a big enough name that we'd probably expect to see the character cropping up in more DC movies than just Patty Jenkins' solo Wonder Woman effort. Maybe he can become the Hayley Atwell of the DCU. James Gunn has revealed that the time-travelling villain Kang will not be showing up in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or any Marvel Cinematic Universe film for the foreseeable future. And that is because the rights to use Kang 
and the Shi'ar, apparently, are all currently owned by Fox, which means that the rights must have been carved up pretty strangely when contracts were first being drawn up between Marvel and Fox a couple of decades ago. And we're still learning through things like this where those lines were drawn. Speaking of the X-Men universe, stuntman Andre Tricoteau has been confirmed as Colossus in the upcoming Deadpool movie. That's if we're to believe Gina Carano on Twitter. And Brian Singer has also hinted at the inclusion of Callisto and the Morlocks in X-Men Apocalypse. That is, as usual, on his Instagram account. The Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey comic, The Wicked and the Divine, has been optioned for adaptation by Universal TV. The project will be produced by Milkfed Criminal Masterminds, the Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick production company that was established as part of the deal we mentioned a few weeks back on the podcast that they did with Universal to adapt sex criminals. They were always planning to be a launchpad for other comic creators' IP, and that's exactly what is happening here. Um, I imagine this is a piece of news we'll be discussing more on next week's full episode when James can tell me more specific details about the comic. And hopefully there'll be an excuse for James or Seb um, to recommend that comic to me on a future podcast because I've been eyeing it with interest for a, for a little while now. Um, sorry to Alan Moore, but we have to inform you that 20th Century Fox want to have another crack at adapting The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That is despite the fact that the last attempt went so badly that Sean Connery flipped Hollywood the bird and took early retirement. Not much is known about the project other than that John Davis, who was one of the producers on Chronicle, is attached to produce this. And that also it probably reasonably can't be any worse than last time. And finally, M. Night Shyamalan has been discussing his interest in turning Unbreakable into a TV series. Quentin Tarantino, who incidentally refers to M. Night Shyamalan as Shyamalama Ding Dong, is famously a big fan of the movie, which starred Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, He called it a brilliant retelling of the Superman mythology. We could see a new show working, although there is no way that that original cast is returning, even if it is for six episodes on something like Netflix or HBO, which is what Shyamalan thinks could happen. That sounds a little bit too ambitious to us, but we could see a channel like Sci-Fi maybe taking a punt and doing something similar to Unbreakable as they did with 12 Monkeys. Who knows, this could have just been Shyamalan thinking aloud. That's it for this week's comic book movie news. Let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. Okay, let's move on now to discussing us some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, And as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is slightly complicated in that both of these comics are the first four issues of two different comic series, both called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So the first is the first four issues of the Mirage series, the, the original Turtles comics that launched it all from Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. And these, interestingly, the first volume or the what is collected on Comicsology is the first three issues, and the fourth issue is actually a special one-off mini-issue, a one-of-one issue of a mini-comic called Raphael, which basically essentially serves as the fourth comic with just a bit more focus on Raphael than on the other Turtles. And then the second series, also called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, this is the first four issues, the first volume of the IDW series, which launched in 2011, um, again from Kevin Eastman, but this time with Tom Waltz and Dan Duncan. And because for the first time we're kind of dis- discussing two comics that are both from the same characters and they're both kind of telling origin stories, it's the start of a run, it probably makes sense rather than to separate these two chats out for them to be a little bit interchangeable as we go on. 
So I'll say at the start, one of these comics is totally tubular and the other one is bodacious. I'm not going to reveal which one is which. You'll just have to try and make up your minds yourself <laughs> once I finish discussing them. So let's let, let's start with the 1984 comic. The original Mirage comics I read in their original black and white. And and I would say if you were going to go and read these at home, I think it, for like the purpose of studying them in their original form, I was very interested to read them in black and white. However, having looked at Comicsology just at the the issues coloured in, having a little bit of a, a glance at previews of certain stuff, I probably would choose to continue reading them in colour if I could. That's not to say that they don't look good in the black and white, but it's it's very it's it's more is like a matter of interest going back and reading them in this in this black and white form, seeing quite how lo-fi they are, and they are really lo-fi. But it has to be said, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles look completely badass from the start. And actually, if I had to choose my favourite of the designs, like the 80s design of the Turtles or the, the modern incarnation of the comic Turtles, I think I prefer the kind of the shape and the faces and the build of them back in the 80s. I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's that they're a little bit more stylized, or... I don't know, <laughs> I can't quite put my finger on it. It's one of those like just intangible things. It's kind of like, who's your favourite Turtle? Everyone's got a different one. This is, this is just what pushed my buttons. So... What actually surprised me about this is, given how violent it is comparatively to like the cartoons and the and the movie that we discussed last week. I mean, because in the first couple of pages of this comic, they're having a big showdown with some guys who are shooting at them with guns, and they are probably using all their ninja weapons. They're not holding back. There is blood splattered on their weapons and on the floor after their first fight so this is definitely more violent than any other turtles I've seen and more violent than the 2011 comic having said all of that it is remarkably similar in a lot of ways to the 1990 movie that we discussed on the main episode last week um so the first issue starts they have this fight and then they go back and they meet Splinter um Splinter explains to them the origins of him and his master and his master Yoshi and the fight that he had Um, the only slight difference is that his master Yoshi kills the man who is going to kill his wife only for his younger brother Saki to grow up and take on the mantle of Shredder but then the origin is actually really similar actually the drawing of the young turtle starting to mutate for the first time is, is like eerily reminiscent of the one in the movie it's very fun. We get the direct... I, I've finally seen the direct Daredevil homage in this comic with a can of sewage literally bouncing off a boy's eyes onto the ground, smashing, and the turtles uh, the turtles then going into it and splinter and, and mutating. And in the course of that first issue, they then go and have a big showdown with Shredder on a rooftop like the end of the first movie, except this ends with the turtles killing Shredder, flat out killing Shredder in the first issue of the comic, which I thought was uh, very interesting, but I'm not sure that uh, Eastman and Laird had quite prepared for the success they were going to have. And to be honest, knowing that this is a comic book, I wouldn't be at all shocked to find out that Shredder either had another brother or a son, or he himself survives the fall and comes back in a future comic uh, in this same series, who knows? And then, interestingly, the one the one kind of big diversion in the comics is that April is not a TV news reporter. She is the assistant of a... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Scientist called Dr. Stockman, which is kind of a little bit closer to actually what happened in the in the 2014 Turtles movie, where uh, although April was a reporter, she kind of grew up in a lab where the tur- turtles were, where they mutated. And she works for a guy called um, Stockman, Dr. Stockman, who I don't remember from the cartoons, but given that he shows up in this and the uh, modern comic, I'm guessing that he probably did, that he's probably a major Turtles character that I've just forgotten about. But he creates these little robots that go down to the sewers and kill all the rats, but he's actually trying to take down buildings. He's basically a horrible terrorist. Um, In fact, I think there's one moment where he threatens the Twin Towers, which is kind of eerie. Yeah, he says, one of the World Trade Center towers will topple unless I'm paid $20 million. Which is strange reading that back now. I heard on another podcast recently that X-Men had a thing where kind of all dark futures had the Twin Towers missing. So that's, uh, yeah, strange strange little thing to uh, happen in the comics. But so they eventually fight Dr. Stockman and defeat him. But then in the next issue, not unlike the movie again, where the turtles kind of, after having teamed up with April, they then get back and inevitably almost those mouse bots have got to Splinter and Splinter has been attacked by the mouse bots and is missing. And the turtles kind of go to the only person they can, who is April, and ask for her help. And then the rest of that issue is a big um, deus ex machina kind of car chase where they're mistaken for actual criminals. Um, But it's fun, and the turtles are fun, and they've got a little bit of the uh, personalities that I remember. Um, Seeing in colour, they all have red eye masks, which they all do in the um, current version as well. Uh, which is kind of confusing, although I was uh, looking around on Wikipedia and found out that in the current version, in the fifth issue, they all get their coloured masks that kind of are the ones that we know, the orange, purple, blue and red ones, rather than just all wearing red. So um, maybe I'll have to keep reading the current one to get to that. 
Um, and then the fourth issue of the comic is again very similar to the movie uh, where Raphael is out on his own because it's this Raphael mini issue and he encounters Casey Jones who has been rougher with the criminals than he would like to approve of and so they kind of they, they it's one, one whole issue the two of them chasing each other around New York and fighting and it ends up in the forest kind of like it does in the movie and right at the end they kind of go oh maybe we can meet in the middle and let's let's you know basically there's a let's get them on the last page where they're going after some new criminals but together this time so that's the introduction of Casey like I said there's a lot here that surprisingly a lot that I just didn't think there would be given the um, given the movie is so tonally different to these comics I was surprised by quite how much DNA they shared although it is a lot more violent and there is a lot there's not there's not as much humor as I was expecting but having said that, I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed it as an exercise. That's uh, kind of in the same way that I was talking about enjoying um, enjoying reading the black and white versions rather than coloured versions. I'm not sure whether I would be desperate to keep reading this because it did seem so similar to a lot of the turtles that I knew, but just a little bit maybe didn't have all the elements that coalesced by the time the movies and the cartoons had come together, which is what I really liked. So uh, what I'm basically saying is I would, I would probably prefer to go back and watch the cartoon or watch more movies than I would read more of this. And that is in contrast to the current 2011 IDW series, which um, I didn't find that as much with at all. It, it Basically because it changes the approach to the turtles. This is a different origin story, something that I hadn't really read before, some slightly different approaches to characters kind of a middle ground between those early comics in terms of the violence and all that kind of stuff and the fun, colourful nature of the cartoons. And and changing the story and changing the twist on all of the characters made it feel fresh to me in a way that the, the 80s one really never could. And I could see myself continuing reading this modern day one. I wouldn't be desperate to do it, but I definitely could. Um, and these first four issues kind of tell an origin story told half in present day, half in flashbacks of the turtles coming together to kind of form the status quo that we know. The turtles are in a lab again, which has been run by this Dr. Stockman. So I really probably should have remembered him. Who was working for a guy called Krang, General Krang on the other end of the phone, who is not revealed. And this this is 15 months ago that all the stuff is unfolding in a lab where April also happens to be working. And what what we see happen is basically some ninjas come and try and take the turtles and some ooze, goo, whatever it is that, that transforms the turtles. Their escape is kind of botched. The turtles are covered in the... Uh, in the use as is Splinter and as is a cat who tries to steal Raphael and this is where it really diverges Splinter then fights the cat and scratches out its eye reminiscent of the way he attacks Shredder um, there is also one of those ninjas is attacked by Splinter as well so I'm wondering whether that might be Shredder much later on in the comic and instead this cat called Old Hob kind of becomes the main villain across these first four issues because this cat also mutates into a human-sized cat who has an eye patch because his eye was scratched out by Splinter. And Splinter and the three turtles are fighting him at the start of the first comic. And I say three because at that point when Old Hob tried to steal unmutated Raphael, Raphael was separated from his brothers. And so at, this, at the start of this comic, Raphael has kind of been homelessly bumming around the street for 15 months while his three brothers have been trained in the ninja arts by Splinter. 
And they're kind of busy going around the city looking for Raphael, trying to find him. And they have been doing for over a year. And so the four issues kind of builds to the point where their paths intersect. And strangely, because of that, because Raphael is the one separated, the comic felt a lot more about him than it did the other turtles. And I thought it was interesting, again, that maybe even Kevin Eastman kind of agrees with the majority of people that Raphael is the best turtle. He's the most interesting. There is the most stuff to do with him. Like, it's, you know, it's all well and good being the funny guy and the leader and the tech guy, but you can do the most interesting character stuff with an angst-ridden, kind of moody, loner, renegade turtle than you can with the other ones. Hence, Raphael getting his own issue so early on in the original run and being the kind of the one who's off the beaten track here who gets half of the story while the other three turtles get the other half of the story. And what Raphael's doing is he's hanging around with Casey Jones, a young Casey Jones who is kind of being beaten up by his drunk father and Raphael jumps in and saves him. So that antagonism in that relationship is gone. But again, they've buddied up pretty early and they're fighting together on the streets. And it's 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 fun. It's just basically fun from start to finish. I didn't find myself like really invested in certain themes that were running through these comics or you know, kind of really searching for, you know, more depth or anything like that because this is Ninja Turtles and I think they they kind of do this comic does what you kind of want the turtles to do, which is just be fun. And the fighting's fun, the characters are fun, it's so bright and colourful and enjoyable, uh, which is something that is certainly in the colourfulness you can't say for the 1990 film that we watched last week. You you have that 15 months earlier, kind of them, them being mutated for the first time, being told through half of this, and the three turtles finally finding their brother in the other half of it and having a final fight with Old Hob as well, uh, before Raphael is uh, taken home by his brothers to Splinter. Um, a really sweet moment at the end. And I don't, like I said, I don't think there's, there's like a huge amount I can speak about in terms of depth or anything like that. But I just, I just enjoyed this comic. Um, th- this one was, you know, missing the old comic book parody. I don't know whether it's parodying anything recent. I'd be interested if, you know, to find out if maybe that this comic was finding some modern popular comics to parody in the same way it did for Daredevil, New Mutant, Cerberus back in the 80s. But who knows, maybe maybe there's just so much of that inbuilt into the concepts of Ninja Turtles now that they've gone beyond the point where they can serve as a, as a tool for parody. But yeah, I think the, the 2011 one would be the one I would uh, continue reading, which I think, as James said, he has continued to do. Um, and I can see the appeal of that. It's it's super light and fun, but there is action and it looks great. And yeah, I, I could just see myself wallowing in Ninja Turtles. Uh, whereas with the 80s one, I think I'd just prefer to go back and watch the cartoon instead. And don't you think I haven't been on Amazon in this last couple of weeks eyeing up DVDs of the original 80s cartoon that I might want to buy? Um, that is a future episode. Um, whether it takes us a couple of weeks or a couple of years, I promise you we will get to the Ninja Turtles cartoon. Um, but that is it for this week's show. Um, don't forget that the next episode of Cinematic Universe will be covering Josh Trank's 2012 film, Chronicle. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And if you've already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review, and we'll give you a shout-out on a future show. 
You can find episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com, panelbeats.co.uk, or as we're a Film Divider podcast at filmdivider.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at cu underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs>